I, I don't know about you, but I, it was some time ago that I was, uh, came across a video, and, and this video, uh, it, it appealed to me because, number one, I, I'm, I'm a prankster by nature. Anybody that knows me, knows my family, you know that we love to play jokes on each other. Uh, one of the things that we used to do is, uh, as kids, we would play pranks and pranks and pranks on all kinds of people. Um, my grandma, my, uh, just the other day we were in Sedona and we went to the, the trout farm up in Sedona. Has, has anybody in there? Has anybody been there? But uh, man, it's a great place. We took my grandmother there uh, and she's, she's almost 80 years old and, and uh, she has not been fishing, uh, she said, probably for uh, since she was about 20 or 30. Uh, she went with my late grandfather and they would take uh, their children, my parent, my mom and her siblings, they would take them fishing. So we took her fishing. And uh, she had the pole there, and she caught the fish, and she brought it up out, and she was putting it out, pulling it out, and, and my brother Alan, who's, uh, he's, he's the, the prankster of pranksters, he, he grabs the fish, he takes the hook out, and he goes right to my grandma's face like this, oh, no. and, and she's sitting in her chair weaseling, and uh, that's just kind of what we do. And, and this video that I saw, it was a video of uh, this, this random guy at, uh, at one of the beaches. I don't know which beach it was. It didn't, it didn't indicate. But this man is there and he's, he's coming, he's, he was out swimming or surfing and he's coming up on land. And, and if anybody's ever been to the beach, you have those, uh, those, those uh, shower heads and you go there to rinse off, right? You get kind of the sand dirt out of there and, and you just kind of just, just, I guess, rinse that off. Well, he's under the, the shower head and, and he's trying to rinse off and there's, uh, there's, there's uh, shampoo there and he's trying to get everything out. And, and I don't know if this random person knew him or not, but there's this wall and you can actually climb up uh, on that wall and as his head is underneath the water and he's trying to get out all the soap this prankster reaches over with a big bottle of shampoo and he's he's squeezing it onto this man's head and this man is he's trying to wash it off and he's going for a, a while and the guy as soon as he's got it almost all out the guy reaches over again and he's squirting it on his head this man's here for about 10 minutes, and pretty soon you just see his body language, ah! and he's just losing his mind, and everybody, of course, is watching and laughing, but I find that amusing in this section because, in my mind, if you're like me, sometimes that's how the Christian walk feels. It feels as if you're working so hard, you're, you're wasting, no, I shouldn't say wasting, you're using mental physical, spiritual energy to do and be the person that God has called us to be. But sometimes the shampoo just doesn't come off. Sometimes we, 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 we will lash out in anger and frustration, and, and it may not even be a, 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 a problem of other people. It may be a frustration with myself. Have, have you done that before? That, that, that it comes out, it bursts, but re, the reality is, I am tired. <laughs> I am tired, guys. I don't know about you. Paul is saying he's tired. I'm tired of this pain. I'm tired of temptation. I'm tired of the struggle of what I know I really want to do, and that is to please God, but the, the person, Evan, in his body is struggling and continues to fail. I'm struggling with self-doubt. Self I'm, I'm tired from 
from knowing that there will always be part of me that does not reach that standard that God has called me to. And, and here's a, a passage that, that we get to peek into the life of Paul as he's revealing himself to us. That if you're striving to be like God, you're striving to look like Jesus, but you're, you're, you are frustrated with the sin that you continue to commit, Paul says, that's where I am. And I would encourage you to read through this passage over and over because, again, the wording in and of itself can be quite confusing. But he's going to begin here by really referring to something he's been talking about already. Those who were in Bible class, uh, you, you, you were able to see really the case that he's building, and that's talking about the law, whether specifically the law of Moses given to the Jewish people or law in general. Could be the law to the Gentiles that God has placed a conscience within every single person that I don't need a, a, a written code to know, generally speaking, what's good and what's right because the maker that made me included that in my design. And so what he's going to do is he's going to talk about the law, the, the, the standard that God has given people, specifically here, could be the law of Moses, and he's going to give a description, a fourfold piece of description about the law. Look with me in verse number 12, because we've got to go back just a little bit. He says in verse 12, so the law, and here's where my Bible markers, get your pencils or pens out, because he's going to, he's going to describe the law and what it is. There's basically four descriptive, descriptive words. He says, number one, that the law is holy. Right? What does he mean? He means that it originated from who? From a holy God. He's the one who gave it. And so it defines, it, defines, it promotes, and, and it identifies holiness. That, that this is what it's like to be what God wants us to be, a reflection of His holiness. Number two, he uses the word righteous or just in some translations. And so what does he mean? Paul means that the law is, is a way that God demonstrates His righteousness. Do you remember in earlier chapters we talked about we need to be made right. We need to be justified so that God can accept us into His presence. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm riddled with sin. I, 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 am, I am contaminated with ungodly things as even, even I'm... I'm nine, ten years into my Christian walk, I, I still stumble and I still fall. So Paul says that God is going to justify us by the giving of His Son through a perfect life. That's how we can be righteous. And the law, he says, is just that. It demonstrates His, his righteousness, His justice, and His equity. He also uses the word good here. He says that this law, that the law is, is something for the betterment of mankind. That, that it helps them to know how to become better people. But even more so for that, it's good for us. Law and guidelines is good for us, church. Without guidelines, who knows where we go. Take, take for example, the commandment that thou shall not... Uh, basically commit adultery. That somebody that if you're bound to a spouse, 
despite what your lusts or desires are telling you, you have, uh, by God, been given boundaries that there can only be sex, intimate relationship through the body between a husband and a wife. That's the barrier. Now, some of us might say, well, man, that's just a law giving us all kinds of rules. If you want to see it that way, you could. But if you grow deeper and you, and you study, you notice that those guidelines are for our protection. What does it protect us? What does it protect? It protects my future marriage. Can you imagine, and some of us may fall right into this, that there's guilt that we can never get back from that type of living well into a relationship, and he's protecting that future relationship. Number two, he's protecting me from hurt. We know that that, that that involves more than just the physical flesh coming together, that more things about my inner being and, and things I cannot pinpoint and show you with your eyes, I don't have that anymore. And so that's just one example of why it's so good for us to have guidelines. And, and the Bible says here in verse 12 that it's good for us because it's given by a good God. And the, the, the number four is found in verse number 14. And so you'll have to drop down where he says that for we know the law is spiritual. And so the fourth descriptive word that is used to refer to the law is that it is spiritual. It originates from the realm of God, right? It's good and it reveals God's holiness to us so that we can see our need for a Savior, which is, again, what we talked about in Bible class. And, and, I'll, and I'll just pause right here. If you can do something that's beneficial to your health, guys, your spiritual health, it's try to make these classes because we're working through the whole book and we can't dedicate everything to just the sermons on Sunday. We're using Bible classes too, so um, that way you're not caught off guard and you can kind of work through it with us. But this was all talked about and the case was built in verses 1 through verse 11 about the law. Well, the thing about this is the law is a perfectly holy standard, as Paul is describing here. And, and, and that standard is serving for God's tool as God's tool for making us aware of sin, right? And we're going to get into that in just a bit. And, and though it reveals the sinfulness of man, it is not what separates Paul or us from God. It's not the law. The law is not bad. The law is good. It's holy. It's righteous. It's spiritual. So what's the issue here? The issue is sin, right? And, and, and so Paul becomes aware of of one of the examples that he uses, the sin that he struggled with, but he didn't know for so long, is that of coveting. And so Paul, through the law, is able to become aware of that and make that right before God. So the law in and of itself is not the enemy, right? Um, there's a few ways that we can look at this, but first, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting in verses 12 through 13, the Bible says that now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear God, uh, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord with all your, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. 
going all the way back to the institution of the Law of Moses, you have basically the original giving, which some would see that the emphasis is on the actions. Do this, don't do that, stay here, don't go, don't go here. But if you looked a little deeper at the giving of this law, and really Moses does this a little bit later on, the emphasis is the inner quality of the law, right, as it relates to man's heart. If you've noticed, I've highlighted things that go deeper than just action. He says, what am I supposed to do with God? I'm to fear him. That is a reverence. That is an awe before God, the, the creator of the universe. That goes more than just putting your hands together and praying. That involves, involves more than just choosing to do good and fleeing to, to, to uh, stay away from that which is bad. It involves an, an emotion. Notice all the times he says that this involves my love for him. We all know that love is not just a feeling, it's a choice. That it's, a, it's, it's an action, it's a conscious choice deciding to do better for somebody even if I don't get anything in return. See, that goes deeper than just the action. He says that I'm to serve the Lord with all of my heart and with all of my soul. And so we see that the law deals with part of me that makes choices. It deals with the part of me that that utilizes motivation both selfishly and unselfishly. And the law is going to deal with that which no one can truly see except for God. And I tried really hard to find an image that would help portray this, and, and I like this one a lot. Because I can go around today, and I can introduce myself and say hello, and, and you might ask how I'm doing, and I might say I'm doing fine, and I might put on a, a really good show for you. I may may be living a sinful, worldly life outside of these doors, but the moment I come in here, I'm this. And some of us may be good at that. We may be struggling with sin. We may be living a different lifestyle out there. And here, some of us may not know about that. But the law is like a flashlight. It reveals parts of us that only God can see. God can see everything. And the law, as described, is something that does that. It doesn't just work on our actions, what I'm, what, what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not. He says it really digs deeper than that. It really digs deeper than that. And some of us may remember the Hebrew writer saying these powerful words in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5. Read with me where it says, For the word of God, notice, the word, the commandment, the law, is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. So it's not a physical sword. He says, of joints and of marrow. And listen to this. What does the Word of God do? It discerns, it weighs, it judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what the Word of God does. And he says that no creature is hidden from his sight. Notice that. So the pronoun is actually a third person singular. So the word of God is the commandment. It's the law that's given, but it's also a person, he says, which is Jesus. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him 
whom we must give account. And so what Paul is going to do is say that the law is like a vanity mirror, right? It, it, it's, it's something that reveals in me my deeper person, that spiritual part of me that, that makes decisions. When you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, but you're still called to serve God, guess what? That's who can see within me. Those motivations, God can. How am I treating a brother or a sister, my spouse, my children, my employer? In all facets of my life, God can see my motivation. And that's most important for us to remember is it doesn't matter how secret a sin is that it's laid bare before God. And he says that the law is what is used. It's that tool that God uses to make men aware of their sin and their sinfulness. Now, much like every, a, lot of, a lot of parts of Paul's writing, you're saying, well, geez, that's, that makes me feel really horribly. That makes me feel like, like I, I can't live up to, to what God has called me. The answer is, well, it's kind of supposed to. You know, somebody said, you know, I just feel like I'm never, I, I just feel like I'm not worth Jesus' sacrifice and and all the while I'm sitting there letting the vent saying, we're not. <laughs> we are not worthy. We don't, we don't earn. We don't deserve, which is why it's called a gift for us. And so the law is the way in which God uses something to reveal how bad of a, 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 a person, how much we struggle. It's kind of like, there are some people who go to the doctor a lot, maybe too much, on this side. If I can use this illustration. Anybody in here? No? Okay. So you have people who, uh, <coughs> oh man, I got to get going here right now. Like, I, there's something wrong. And, and, and I'm going to Google something and it's going to give me all the worst case scenarios and I got to get to see a doctor right now. But on the other end of the spectrum, I may have a really bad rash running through my body. I may have an infection saying, oh, I'm going to be fine. I'll just take some, drink some orange juice, you know, as if that has anything to do with that. So you have two people on the ends of the spectrum. And my question is, those folks who do not want to go, is it that they don't want to get better? Or is it that they don't want to be made aware of how bad of a place they are physically, right? There's a lot of people that I know, and, and really I think I struggle with that, is I don't want to go to the doctor because, and I don't want all those tests because I really don't want to hear the test results. You know, I, I'm fine. I, I'm just going to wake up and maybe exercise a little more today, you know, maybe be aware of my diet uh, today more than yesterday. But that is kind of the idea. And the law is like the results that come back to you telling you all the areas in your body that it's not in the, in the rage that, that's, that's healthy. Does that make sense? But again, if I want to get better, I want those results. If I want to be more like God and more like Jesus, then the law is something that's beneficial to me because I now can, number one, be made aware of the sins that I didn't know were sins, i.e., Paul with coveting. But secondly... It shows me how much I need Jesus Christ. It shows me how much I need 
a Savior. And so I love the way that Paul brings this up multiple times, not just in verse 13. Matter of fact, he says that in verse maybe, maybe number 8, that uh, law makes man aware of his infractions and, and, and the penalties for them. And so we have that problem of sin in the flesh and the desires and the lust. And, and Paul says that man is inclined to sin. We're not born sinful, but as we grow and we develop, those lusts, those desires take root and, and we, we do them. We're human beings. And so no, no matter how long a person has been following Christ, sin is not far behind. You know, I was thinking about how to explain this, and he's going to get into it. You know, I, I put a, a picture up here, but then I took it off. But I'm going to tell you anyway. And when we were growing up, we went to Grandma's house. And Grandma's house, great-grandma's house, she lived in White Cone, Arizona, if anybody's aware of that area. But that's where my great-grandma is from. And we would go because she had all kinds of animals. Animals we didn't normally see. She had sheep, she had goats, she had horses, but she also had, Reggie, do you remember? Llamas, and she had the meanest turkeys you'd ever know. And we would go there, and as soon as we wouldn't get out of the vehicle, we're looking around, okay, where's the turkey at? It's something about us, whether we had snacks in our pockets or something, I don't know, but it did not like us. So we would get out and we would book it to the front door. And it never failed. Guess who was right around the corner? That turkey. And I had legitimately been, um, what's the word? Traumatized. As I would grow up, the two nightmares that would haunt me time and time again, number one, was of Chucky the doll, but number two, I'm running endlessly through a forest, and guess who's behind me chasing me? It's great grandma's turkey. It was, that was part, it traumatized, it was with me, and I say that to say, no matter how fast I ran, how loud I yelled, the turkey was right there, one step away from me, and I couldn't escape. And so when I think about what Paul is saying here, he's going to get very personal with us. And he's going to say, it doesn't matter how hard I try, sin is always right there. And I'm trying to live for God, but there are so many times when I find myself, number one, doing things I know I don't want to do. But number two, the things I know I want to do, I don't do them either. And so he's going to paint this picture for us and, and really go into this powerful, powerful imagery of his personal struggle. So verses 15 through 25, I'm going to give you some homework. In your Bibles, I want you to circle or highlight every use of a pronoun that relates to Paul. This struggle, this war, this fight that Paul has with sin, he says, and is made known to us because he uses the first person uh, uh, pronoun I 24 times. In 10 verses. Now, if you're, a, if you're a Bible studier, that doesn't happen often. It's rare. So it's something that was personal to Paul. He uses the word me, my, me, my, or myself 14 times on top of that. It was a personal struggle. And so Paul gives us a peek into his inner struggle, his war that he uses, that word, that's being waged inside of him that all of us 
Every single one of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we can relate to that. Zoom in on verse 18. Here's what Paul says. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is that which I keep on doing. Can anybody relate to that? I sure can. And so there we see Paul revealing that personal struggle with him. And I'm saying, Paul, I'm right there with you. What's interesting is that word wretched, talaiporos, uh, uh, it means to be miserable. Miserable. Verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That word wretched, it means suffering. It means depleted. We have parents of newborn kids, toddlers, infants. It's how we feel about six o'clock in the evening. Just, I have nothing left to give. The word really can be used in a way, in a setting about war. And it indicates a person that is exhausted after a battle. You see what I mean by, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm just tired. You know, I've only lived uh, three decades on this earth, but man, I'm tired. I can only imagine reaching ages like 60 and 70. It just, I'm tired of fighting because if you're like me, being aware of the ways in which I could fall, I'm on guard. And I'm aware, and I'm looking, I'm trying constantly to over, override those, those habits that I dealt with for 20 years that I've I developed without God in my life. And those habits still haunt me to this day. But God says, thankfully, you are not your own savior <laughs> because that is impossible. He says in verse 25, this should be a key verse in your Bible. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Think of how burdened we feel sometimes that may be today that may be right now for you that you're burdened with your inability to be the person that God calls you to be not to say that we we should be so overwhelmed but when I see God's law holy perfect righteous and good and I see Evan I'm like there is no comparison and so so how is this going to work the way that works is Jesus that I rely I trust I believe that he's carrying the burdens of not just my sin, folks, every single one of yours, too. And he carried that to Calvary, and it was nailed to the cross, Colossians chapter 2 and and chapter 3. And that certificate of debt, how many infractions I made against God's law in his righteous living, (laughs) Jesus nailed that to the cross. And so that weight that was once overbearing to me, he says, I can be joyful because there is someone who will deliver me, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because the believer is united to Christ in Romans chapter 6 through baptism, he is dead to the law and it's no longer under, we're not, uh, no longer under its authority, but I'm bound to Christ now, is what Paul says. Here's an example. One of my favorite, other favorite passages in Scripture. (laughs) 
First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Listen to what John says. Oh, so powerful. It makes me joyful. He says, do not love the, the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to this. All sins can be categorized in one of three areas. Number one, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. Listen to those. How many of us are tired from our fight against those sins? Listen to what John says. These things are not from the Father, but it's from the world. <laughs> but Christian, the world is passing away. Did you get that? The world is passing away, but not just the physical world, he says. And also it's what? It's lusts. Those temptations that you, cause you to outburst in anger, those, those temptations that lead you to do things that are contrary to the faithfulness of your spouse, the, the way in which we fall to temptation when I'm home alone and nobody's around and I can do that thing that, that I really I'm struggling against. Do you realize you will be freed one day from those? Just hold on to Jesus, guys. Hold on. And so what John says here is, I don't know about you, but this is, thank you, Lord. He says, it's lusts will be done away with, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And so we have peace, we have assurance, we have hope. Praise God for 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Many of you have been aware of the last year or so when I unexpectedly started to run. I never was a runner. Matter of fact, I hated running. The only running I really did in high school was for my PE class, and there's no way I'm failing PE, so I've got to run the mile, right? Well, the older I got, I don't know if it was just I hit 30 and I had to try something new or what, but I started to pick up running, and I kind of started enjoying it. And I'm like, man, I need, to get, I need to get checked. Talking about going to the doctor, I started to enjoy running. Well, my younger brother says, hey, there's a half marathon going on in Sedona the first weekend of February. And this was, I don't know, back in November. And I'm like, yeah, right. And he says, no, seriously. And my younger brother runs this um, because that time of the year is when uh, we look back and that's the anniversary date of Chase's passing, our, our first son. And so this is a way for my younger brother to kind of release those feelings and really try to take care of that part of his life. And he challenged me and I said, OK, I'm in. And so years and I'm not years, it seemed like years, months, my goodness. I'm getting up and I'm running and there's some mornings where I don't want to, but I'm like, man, number one, I'm going to finish the race. Number two, I'm going to beat my little brother. There's no way I'm losing to him. You know, he's run three, three of these things. My first one, I'm going to show him who's boss still. And uh, no, the, the, the closer we got, uh, the more uh, my first one, I was very anxious. I was very nervous. And it was a beautiful morning. And this was just a few weeks ago, a few weekends ago. And there we are. Um, we've left. The gun has been shot and, and all of that. And we're off and we're running. And, and the first three miles, I'm doing great. I'm saying, man, I can... I might break a world record. I'm feeling great, you know. It's all downhill. That's why. 
But we're going downhill, and there's a lot of hills there. And about mile five is when I'm like, okay, it's starting to set in. This is not funny anymore. This is not, my smile has gone away at this point. And I'm passing by these stations on the right and the left. They're handing out water and electrolytes and all of these things. And um, you start to finally see people starting to walk about mile five, mile six. Cramps are starting to set in. Uh, people that may have eaten a little bit of too big of a breakfast are now stopping for a break, if you know what I mean, you know. And things are starting to be uncomfortable. Well, there's the halfway turnaround, and on the way back, it's all uphill. Uh-oh. And so about mile six, mile seven, I begin to feel the back of my legs start to lock up a little bit. I feel little pulls and little tweaks, and I'm like, okay, it's just a matter of time before the whole thing seizes up, and there, there goes my hamstrings. And I just remember, at some point, the race has to end. I started off the race saying, man, I'm feeling great. And there were periods in, in that 13-mile run where I did enjoy it. The scenery was beautiful. It's amazing. But there's also parts of that race where I, I had to remind myself, at some point this hill has got to stop. But also at some point the race has got to end. Crystal was telling me to smile after I finished. That's the best I could do. <laughs> I'm hurting everywhere, guys. But my pride is still there a little bit, and so I can do this, you know. But I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I couldn't get up after this. I sat down, wrong idea, I should have stretched, but I couldn't get back up. But my point is this, guys. If you're like me and we've entered into this race called life, the Christian life, there are times in which we're running feeling, I want to sprint this whole thing. And those are great times. Take advantage. But there will be times, if you have not, re- not already, and those who are older than me in the faith, you know, you know better than I do, There are times in which you feel your spiritual body starting to lock up on you. You feel that that sin that's so hard to break. You you want to, to give that to God, but no, it's right there with you. And there are times in our walk where we have to think to ourselves, at some point, this race is going to end. At some point, these struggles and temptations that I do that hurt my God and it hurts me and it hurts my family and my friends, at some point it's going to end. And we push on through in the moment we pass through Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, that there's a cloud of witnesses that have already finished the race and they're cheering each and every one of us on saying, do not stop. Run, sprint, walk, crawl, whatever you got to do, that's fine, but don't stop. Because there is a victor, and that victor is who is able to deliver us. And so the wretched man that Paul is, is described in a few ways. Number one, this wretched man, Paul says, I'm delivered, verse 24. Number two, he says in verse 25, this wretched man that I am, I'm a man that continues to serve and strive to serve the law of God. I still want to please my God. Not in order to earn salvation, but because this gift is such of high magnitude, it's the least that I could do. I've given my life to God already. Number three, 
this wretched man that Paul is says, my will is always toward that which is good. I've aligned my, not just my actions, but my heart, my mind, my soul to that which is good. In verse 4, he says, I will still stumble from time to time. Did you get that? Some of us, we like one through three, and that's a bold challenge. I'm also, yes, let's do this. But reality is number four. Reality is... As long as I've been in this race, as long as I've, as far as I've been able to grow into the image of Christ, guess what I'm still going to do, guys? I'm still going to stumble. I'm still going to mess up, but my heart, my choices, my being is that which has already been given to God. And that is the reason why he says, this wretched man, verse 25 and verse, and in chapter 8, verse 1, this wretched man has hope of victory because I am part of the victor. That's what Paul sees himself as when he says, wretched man that I am, that he's a man of deliverance because he's placed his faith into Jesus Christ. He ends this chapter and and still is on the same idea. So as we go on into chapter 8, we're going to see that there is no condemnation. The sin, the lust, the deceit, all those things that we're entangled in For those that are in Christ Jesus, they are not held against us because we have the blood. And so our plea with those that are not Christians this morning is, can we help you to learn about the one that can deliver you from that? Let's study that. Let's let's pray about it. And if you need help, we would love nothing more than celebrate this day in helping you too get delivered by pointing you towards Jesus Christ. If there's anybody who is a Christian, but you're like me, is struggling, and you find yourself saying, wretched man that I am, wretched woman that I am, what greater time for us to throw our arms around you and pray for you. If this is a time that you need to respond to, please come as uh, Maverick is going to lead our invitation song. Let's all stand, please.